Hi guys, this is Ryan and on behalf of Harry, James and myself, welcome to the Coaches Room, where we speak to coaches around the world and hold discussions about the game we love. You can also find this episode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Anchor. Thanks for listening, enjoy the podcast. Hi guys, welcome back to the Coaches Room, this is episode 9. Today we've got with us two very special guests, we've got Ryan aka The Movement Coach and we've got Jordan aka Marksman One-to-One Coach. Guys, do you want to give yourself a, a quick introduction before we crack on? Ryan, do you want to start? Yeah, of course. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. Looking forward to this evening. Um, currently run my own page on social media, but then a private company called The Movement Coach. My incentive behind it is combining technical ball skill mastery alongside physical development, which are both two key skills of my background. Lovely. Short and sweet. I really like that. Jordan, fire away. So I'm Jordan, I'm 21 and I'm currently enrolled on my UEFA B coach uh, course. Um, I currently run Marksman one-to-one training, which started off as Marksman striker training. Um, it then developed and got a lot bigger than I thought it ever would, including doing the Newcastle under 23s as well as some Sunderland. Um, alongside that, I've been at Newcastle this season doing the performance analysis. So that's given me a great insight into different things. And also I run my own podcast called The Game Changer. So, yeah, that's a bit about me. Lovely. Lovely to hear. Right, let's, uh, let's crack on to, to question one of tonight. So I've kind of gone with the, the angle of how much equipment is too much equipment in a session. So at what point do we kind of look, look at a, a session and think that looks a bit like a maze, not a pitch? Um, who wants to kind of take a crack at it? All the time. <laughs> Harry knows La Manga all the time. Uh, I think it's kind of, with me, I'm like, I stress a lot more with planning than I know yourself, Ryan and uh, Harry are. So for me, having a lot of stuff out, I kind of keep focused more on, right, I've done this, I need to go to this next, I've got this next. But now that I'm a bit more comfortable with the whole session planning and going into it, I kind of, I don't feel I need to put as much out learn and do a bit more with a bit less which would, I think you say, is quite important. would you say that something you've learned kind of co- coaching over time is, is less is better or maybe in, in kind of less is more in a way or... sometimes it depends how we depends how we plan it some things like uh so jordan you, you're a lot more in the one-to-one thing but like it's you get, depends what you want from the session kind of thing if you want to focus on something that you can work on with minimal equipment it's fine but if there's something more tricky that needs a few extra things set up, there is time for it kind of thing. I'm going to jump in and I'm just going to say it depends how organised you are. At the end of the day, why would you want to put more equipment out than you need? Because, um, I mean, I'm going to throw this at, at, at AK, the movement coach, in a minute because I've seen him do a, a session for, for one hour with one cone on the ball. So, like, I've seen... At the end of the day, with, with, with equipment, have you got the resources necessary? So if you're doing one-on-one sessions, I've seen people buying some like loads of equipment. If you've got the resources and you can buy quality equipment, that's fantastic. Having the capacity as well, though, to create a session with as little material as possible and it's still being high quality, I think that's an asset that, that few coaches have, but is, is, is definitely important because, you know, at the end of the day, not everybody has those resources to go out and buy um, too many goals, a few mannequins, um, cones, balls. You know, at the end of the day, you, you have to have that capacity to adapt. So I'm going to throw it at, at the movement coach now just to explain to us, if he can, how he manages to do a full one-hour session with a ball and a cone. Thanks for that, Harry. <laughs> um, well, for me, without overlapping some of the things we've covered already there's been really valuable points I think the value of it relates back to most things in sport and in football if you can keep it simple it's easier to follow now the confusion that more equipment can bring into is the focus can be predominantly taken into what we're actually doing rather than how or why we're doing it if that makes sense so in terms of if if it's you know an obstacle course I'm more focused on what do I do next rather than actually 
the action I'm required to develop or my focus is. And it comes from a coaching perspective as well. We end up having to remind players, oh no, after you've done that, turn here. Well, actually, I should probably have to use that intervention to develop them and their skill sets instead of the actual practice itself. So for me, that would then deem a successful practice where you don't have to intervene to really tell them how to do what they're doing. It's more what they can improve on. Can I follow that on, Ray, um, with a question yeah. to kind of everyone that I think you kind of hinted at it then. Does more equipment hide less knowledge? So kind of, you know, you're saying like that can distract, giving so much equipment out can actually distract from the why we're doing it. And, it, you know, a coach might actually not know why they're doing it, but think because they're putting down a load of cones, a load of mannequins, etc., that it looks good and it looks knowledgeable, but, you know, it's actually hiding knowledge. I think it comes back to what just been said by I'm going to call these both Ryan. I can't do the whole changing of names, but it's like a, so some stuff within our sevens that we do. Right, there is like there's a dribbling aspect. There might be a finishing aspect. It's like a little little circuit, but it's kind of it becomes like a memory test. You're not testing their dribbling or their passing. You're testing their memory of what to come, what comes next. And you can get a bit lazy with use the coach or just telling them what they need to do next like right dribble inside the feet outside the feet whereas like you say it should be the more technical stuff that we're coaching we're just kind of telling them what to do without any real technical uh, coaching involved yeah definitely another thing from that James in terms of I'd like to, if you're considering what equipment you've got it goes down to what valuable equipment you've got so it's uh, Harry mentioned in terms of those buying resources and utilizing them in certain ways. But for me, obviously most important equipment are a football and a goal. Um, everything else, you then your cones, which you might lay out your pick and certain markers and areas that you want to work within. Mannequins and stuff are still questionable. Do they bring a real value? Because obviously it's a static and that's optional when and where you'd use that form of equipment. So it's all about matter of selection. And if it brings value, then, by all means, I think if you use it in the right context, it's worthwhile being in the session. But if it's there as a, you know, to make something look pretty or just an object on the field or I'm showcasing what equipment I've got, perhaps not. But in a hat, James, you led on to earlier, I think, in terms of you might set out loads of equipment and actually you're going to move around your session so you're not having to reset your session up during the practice, which actually I think is a really logical way of using more equipment. Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely. Jump in, Jordan, yeah. I, I per personally, right, when obviously my philosophy for my one-to-one -one coaching is that everything has a purpose. I, I don't coach anything without a purpose. If it doesn't relate to a football game, then I don't see the point in doing it because unless it's S&C or strength and, con strength and conditioning, etc., then I don't think there's any purpose in doing it, like which you could do in the gym. Um, I feel like... Every, every single player needs a reason behind why you might be doing something, regardless of the age or the ability, um, because then they can go away and learn about it themselves. Because if they don't know why they're doing something, then they're not really going to know how it relates to a game. And I feel like, obviously, with the main question is how much equipment is too much equipment in a session. I call them Instagram coaches. And they're the coaches who have too many hurdles, too many look good stuff, and they don't even know what they're actually doing. Like, they're just telling them to do, like, bunny hops over the hurdles, then, like, I don't know, pass the ball. And then, I don't know, you're never really going to replicate that in a game. Maybe if you were doing, like, I say, S&C stuff. But it's never, like, match-related. Um, like, the parachutes as well. And agility ladder, like, the agility ladders, yep, they're good for fitness and coordination, but they're not agility. You're not changing direction to an external stimulus. You know what I mean? So I feel like in terms of how much equipment is too much equipment. I feel like you need to be adaptable, like what's already been said. I don't, sometimes at the beginning, I started with a set of balls, cones, um, and the facility already had a goal. So I didn't really have them little pop-up goals, but I had to try and replicate that in a different manner, a different way. So I was either put footballs on top of the cones to use as small little goals. Obviously, yes, it was debatable how achievable was that for little kids to try and hit a ball off a cone obviously you've got to make it adaptable I'm, I put two footballs next to um, on cones to replicate target so it made it slightly easier but 
I think it's about being adaptable and relating it back into a game because otherwise, like I say, too much equipment. It's just like it's just Instagram coaches trying to look good. Definitely, yeah, massively, and and it that quite nicely fits back into the question that you know when do we say stop? Uh, you know, can anyone actually give me a kind of definitive measure? So you know, right in your one-to-one sessions, you know, at what point would you look back at a session and go? Uh, well, let's kind of stand back and go, I've got too much out here, let's pick up some cones or mannequins or or is it kind of go from basics and then work up if you need to? Uh, yeah, I think it's an interesting question in terms of stepping back and seeing the, the grand scheme and the grand bigger picture. Um, but similar to what we've kind of concluded that if it brings value to the practice and you can justify the use of it, by all means, you could use as much equipment as you want. So I'm going to go the other way of it a little bit now and say, who's to say I'm using too much equipment if I feel it's as of value to what my purpose of the practice is. So Jordan, by all means, everything you've said, I actually agree with. You know, I like the Instagram slogan. You spot on me what you say about ladders, the hurdles, everything else. But I could quite easily turn around to you and go, oh, we're working on jumping and landing for fundamental development. And I've instantly justified why it's in the practice. I know it might not relate back to the real game. Correct. Um, And that's where I guess it comes down to the philosophy of coaching or the detail in which the coach is trying to develop. Um, So it's an interesting topic. um, But is there a conclusive answer? I'm not particularly sure, personally. I don't know what you guys think. Oh, I really like that. You can kind of... I like that it's kind of down to the why or, you know, does it have a why behind it? And, you know, as long as you can answer that with you know, real confidence in what you're saying and, and you can back it up with your actions. You know, there's no real right or wrong answer. There's just a couple of things that stick in my mind is when I put down a ladder for one of my younger sessions at Preston. Um, and I remember one of the, the one of the head coaches coming over at time and, and he was like, pick that ladder up. And I was like, well, you know, why? Like, I was just curious, like, oh, right, okay, but how come? He's like, you don't have a ladder on a pitch. I was like, but you don't have cones on a pitch, but, you know, we use them a lot. You know, on the pitch, it's just grass and a ball. You know, but... So when should we incorporate it and when shouldn't we? It's funny you say that. I've, I've literally planned my sessions for tomorrow, as probably about 20 minutes before we jumped in this call. And I'm doing a receiving practice with this player, but his brother's involved in the session as well. They're both academy players at Norwich. Um, there's one year gap between them. And I've intentionally put a ladder in to discreetly get them working on their coordination and some little challenges. But actually, my real justification behind it is I'm having one work at a time. So rather than one standing still, have your go at my little receiving challenge. Go through the ladder. By the time you return, it's your go again. So it's like what you said. It, if you can justify why you're putting it there, it's a valuable form of equipment. I, I agree with that because sometimes in a session like Ryan, you've just said, it's be, especially on the cold days, I def, deliberately plan, like you've just said, that when someone's always active, regardless if it's a technical aspect or a fitness aspect. If, it, if there's a purpose behind it, like you say, like working on your coordination and your speed, it's still engaging them in the session rather than just have them sit out and watch. It's still engaging them in that um, thing. So it's keeping the heart rate up as well. It's keeping them practically engaged. And I feel like that's a good, as long as there's a purpose, like you say, then I feel like, yeah, that's definitely appropriate. Can I can I just ask a question? On my UEFA B, they they gave us quite a nice slogan, and it was I, I still don't know if I agree with it or not. And I want to kind of get your opinion on this all. Is they said pick cones up, don't put them down. What what kind of what does that instigate in everyone? I mean, I generic similar to something on my which I did on my level two right, which was like planning your session so it's as beneficial as it can be. So it's like if you can make an area and you know you need to increase the size of the area, have cones underneath cones and stuff like that so you can take one away, there's a different colour there so that stay there just to kind of like, I don't know, maximise like the ball rolling time type of thing which is something I took away from it. I don't know if that's what you mean but in terms of like being prepared with your equipment to not have to yeah, pick so up was, too much and move too much and then it kind of keeps the flow going. Yeah, it was exactly that kind of like and I, I agree with this part completely and they said like, you know, the way that they wanted to promote the coaching program was kind of, you know, you start small and you make your area bigger until it becomes, you know, a game related scenario. And it was that kind of theory of like, like everything's set up already. 
and then in the breaks, you know, you pick up the area you've just been on, and all of a sudden the area is a bit bigger, the aspect's a bit different. You know, you might be focusing on a different topic. You pick up and in the next break, and all of a sudden you've got your, your five-a-side game or whatever. And I massively agree with that. I'm just going to jump in here. I haven't talked much today. It's been absolutely awesome, by the way, so far. Um, I just want to say, like, you've got to empathise. So I know we're in this era of we're trying to get known, okay? I really empathise with everybody putting, you know, stuff on their social media and trying to, you know, get out there. What, what, what they're trying to do is for a good reason and for a good cause. And I think... The fact that there's so many one-to-one coaches now, okay, they could be saying the wrong things or they could be doing a little bit of ladder work, but they'll learn. You know, I mean, we've all had that time where we've put out an amount of cones or an amount of equipment that might have not been great from the look on the outside, but but they'll learn. And there's a lot of people that are buying equipment which are, um, you know, passionate about what they're starting to do. They, they really realize now that they can do it, that they have, you know, two, 300 people that interact with them as well. They're getting kids out of the house, you know, down to the field playing. So I think there is a lot of positives of what people are doing, how they come across, you know, at the end of the day, I don't know that person. I'm not in that person's session. So I find it very difficult to say if, if, you know, that is well or not well organized. The question I would ask is why is, why are the photo, why is it photos? Why aren't you talking about the session? You know, if, 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 if the session has, is a good session, then it will probably be great to have audio in it. Just to listen to what you, when we'll, we'll go into the next question in a minute, but how you engage, because like I could set up exactly the same session as James, Ryan, Jordan, and Ryan, and we could do it five different ways. And it could look exactly the same from the amount of equipment that we've got out. So I think it comes down to the person, how they engage with, with what they're doing. Um, and, and Ryan touched on it before, so Jordan, it's the why behind why you're doing it rather than what it looks like. I mean, I think it's, it's quite superficial to go and say this coach doesn't know what he's doing because he's got this equipment out or he's got too much equipment or not enough equipment. I think it's great the fact that there's one-on-one coaching, okay, and people are finding, you know, the confidence to go out and do it, publish it on social media. You know, they're publishing something which, you know, is trying to help someone else, trying to help kids, and I think it does help them. There's obviously coaches that will help a lot more in detail, but at the end of the day, we're getting out. We're not sitting indoors and, and, and doing nothing. You know, we're getting out and doing stuff. And I, I think we should, we should really value that as well. I think it's, it's, not like a, it's not like an instant success of, right, he's put so much equipment out, so that means it's going to be a good session. It still comes down to us as coaches of how we do it. And for me, the question comes back to it's quite a – like a confidence thing. So if you're doing a one-to-one session, like I know we've done in Spain, Harry, and players come on the pitch and they see lots of stuff out, it kind of looks good from the outset. So it's a good like first impression. But then if at the end of the session, that's when you find out if it was a good session. So you could have you could have five cones out and at the end, the feedback could be brilliant. Like it could be better than exactly. if you would have hundreds of cones out. So you've got to kind of, it gives I don't, I don't, I don't believe it's it's related to the equipment like a session can be good or not you can't have that subjective opinion i think you it need to be that, there to see the session though, and then I think that's where it kind of links back, though, that kind of what I said before, that can the equipment hide knowledge, like lack of knowledge? You know, like, James, you were saying then, like, five cones might be absolutely perfect for a one-to-one session, whereas 500 cones and three mannequins and, you know, an uncle and his dog, that being there might actually hinder the session. Exactly. So, at the end of the day, I think um, we've touched base on every perspective <laughs> of equipment, and I think we should move into the next question, which um, is a question related to the engagement, which is, is, is really what we're talking about. So when is engagement necessary in a session um, from the coach? And, you know, how often do we feel that we need to interact? When is the moment that we need to get into the session? When is the moment just to leave it alone and let the process? I just want to um, throw that at, at you guys. Um, who wants to kick off? Yeah, I'll, I'll kind of. Go on, Ryan. Uh, two rounds. <laughs> um, no, I was just going to kind of say um, that it kind of, I think that's about knowing your players and knowing how they work, kind of recognising when there's a bit of a flow and maybe when things aren't ticking quite right. And even then, 
still maybe just giving it another minute, they might all of a sudden, you know, one might get it right and then that kind of kicks in a chain reaction of other players going, oh, I'm going to learn off him now instead of maybe learning off the coach because peer feedback is massive. And, you know, if you've got a group of players that kind of trust in each other's communication and, and, and kind of believe in what each other is saying, sometimes you don't need to step in at all. You know, the players might fix it themselves or they might find a better solution. I think it goes back to, sorry, I pressed the wrong button to unmute myself. It goes back to uh, one of the one of Phil's uh, quotes from last week that I'm going to get tattooed right here. If uh, no coaching is better than bad coaching. So I think some of us could, I know I could like take a lot from that in terms of jumping in too much and trying to overcoach. Sometimes it's not needed. So just focus on what what is you want to work on in the session. Like when I first started, if I was doing a tapping session, I'd still try and coach the defending as well and feeling the need to kind of do that when in reality they're going to have their time when it's a defensive session so it's like focusing on your target of the session and just praising that or trying to improve that and not trying to jump in at every single opportunity because we're going to over oversaturate them with information but the, the word engagement doesn't necessarily mean a stoppage of play does it um, and also engagement doesn't necessarily mean the whole group is a collective. So in terms of, I agree with what you're saying, James, definitely. I love the, I love the, the quote, um, but as a collective, am I intervening for the right reasons? We can, that can be a discussion obviously, but actually if I'm not affecting the collective, can I influence individuals? So I am still engaging into the practice and developing the players, but I'm not doing the collective. I'm doing man for man perhaps. Yeah, it's, as long as that was uh, <clears throat> like spread out, because I've had that the same before. Right, when we've been doing a group session and I've been focused on one player, and you feel like you're really sometimes having to go at them when you're not. You're just trying to improve them. So I agree with what you say, but like as long as we spread it across them, and it's not little Johnny's getting all the attention or all the criticism, kind of, it's like trying to help them all within the little like as as it's going on. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think I, I think that kind of that's where the use of drive-bys is really useful instead of your stop stand still. You know, just a little nudge on the shoulder. You know, well, why don't you try this next time? Or you know, if the defender's doing that, what can we do instead? And that way, you know, you're giving them ten, fifteen seconds of, of engagement, but you know, you've stimulated thought for a couple of minutes, and you might see a result straight away, or it might then take them a bit more time. But um, Jordan, I'd like to get your input as well on this, looking at a one-to-one perspective. As a coach, we've kind of had this discussion recently as well on a different episode that, you know, how much necessary engagement do we actually do in one-to-one coaching? So I totally, like we said at the beginning, I feel like it's ne- it needs to be necessary depending on the player and their needs because I actually coach like a wide variety of athletes. Um, so the other week, in fact, this is no joke. Um, I had... Newcastle, he's on. He's just been called in actually at the first team to train, and then he doesn't need as much engagement as the dis the lad the disability lad I had the, the hour before. Obviously, it's all about me being adaptable to that person, because some people come to my services for different reasons. Um, obviously, the lad that I had before the Newcastle under twenty three player, um, he he wanted to learn skills. Um, so obviously my engagement was a bit more in, in, in terms of they're different, they both had different learning methods. So I had to demo a lot of drills for this lad who liked to visualize learning. So I always send out a forum before my session so I know what type of learner they are. So I had to engage more in terms of demos and replicating drills. While for the lad with the under 23s he comes surely just for the fitness purposes so that might just include one demo or if i need to re-replicate a drill so i I the engagement like you say you can do it obviously i'm a coach as well for an under 17s team um so in terms of the engagement like you say i think it needs to be varied but it's for the right individual because there's some players which are very introverted and they'll be if you if you keep singling them out constantly, then like you say, I feel like they might not come next week. 
Um, so it's about knowing, like you say, I think it's down to knowing your players and their needs, if I'm honest. I was, I was just going to attack that, um, that scenario. Especially, I was listening to a podcast the other day, I really recommend it. It's the Belgium, it's modern soccer coach, I think it's Gary Kinnean, with oh, the yeah. Belgium and, uh, I don't know, FA. He works for the FA uh, and, and he was talking about a player-centred approach. And everybody talks about how they have a player-centred approach, but they really don't. Meaning that they try and treat every single kid with equality. Coming from a good place, as, as most coaches do, but really getting in depth and understanding what a player needs and what a player wants and how far, you know, emotionally now I think kids are very, very um, dispersed. So they don't take very well um, coaching, let's just say, in front of a group, which, you know, this, it's got this side effect as well. Are we then making players soft by not being honest with them um, in front of other players? So it's because it hurts them or because, you know, they don't take it the right way. So my question for you guys is by focusing really on, you know, them taking everything in the best way possible, are we as well allowing them to be emotionally selfish? Let's just call it. Like obviously they're kids. But I mean, are we being honest when we're looking for a specific way to tell them so they don't take it the wrong way. Does this make sense to anyone? I think I think we'll bubble wrap them a bit too bit too much and kind of try to well, protect this is them. the thing, you know, I mean at the end of the day sorry, sorry James. <laughs> I'll throw a question out then and wanna answer it myself. <laughs> so no, but it's just basically is is that it's it's you know, an honest conversation with somebody coming from a good place and talking about football should anybody really feel offended by that. I know, I, know what you, I know what you mean, definitely, because I, I agree with what you're saying. Um, because some of the academy lads, the stuff that they'll get told off the coaches is very, maybe sometimes overcritical. Um, and I feel like it, it varies throughout the different standards of sport. I feel like if you want to be the best and elite, then you're going to get them overcritical comments. While I feel like, like you say, the kids are more bubble wrap nowadays, especially with how sensitive some people are. Um, I feel like an amateur, I feel like it's just society at the minute. It's just like everything's very sensitive. And that's like you say, they're not going to learn properly. And I feel like that's long term, it's going to have its problems um, in the development of that player. Because if they're not, get, like you say, if they're not getting a, a true reflection of their coach and you're lying to them as a coach, I think you're not being a good coach at all. I feel like you need to be honest, but not overcritical. Um, I know that's very, it's easier said than done. But I feel like, like you say, it's about the right balance of positives and negatives, as well as their own feedback and feedback from their success or failure. So I feel like, it, I don't know, it's just it's easier, it's easier to talk about it than for it to occur in a session, if you know what I mean. So Def that's Definitely why. right, uh, Joe, definitely. So kind of coming back full 360 now to the question, kind of when is engagement necessary in a session from the coach? What do we think in, in, in as short as we can? I'll kind of start us off. I kind of think that we should be looking at, you know, if it's, if it's not quite flowing, if there's something that maybe needs to be tweaked. But other than that, I think we try and step back and, and kind of let the game teach. I think it's, it's picking your times, isn't it? And knowing, like, it always goes back to knowing your players, but knowing the players who will show you a very obvious sign of when you need to jump in and, praise them or put that armour on the shoulder whereas other ones will uh, need to kick up the backside a bit so it's like knowing what works best for them I think engagement necessarily needs to be beneficial now I'm going to flip what Harry said in terms of yes perhaps as a society what Jordan said we might be too soft if that's the word we want to use and bubble wrap one of the issues you have with coaching interventions is the first thing the coach naturally normally thinks is oh they're not doing this but actually, what are they doing? So could you flip it on a positive sense as much as that might now relate back to the learner and the lifestyle that they have to live and you have to live with that. That's who they are rather than having to change them. Um, and the, the other point I want to reach on to in terms of benefit in the practice is, if, again, a bit like the equipment. If you can justify why you're intervening and you feel it's going to be of some benefit. So from my perspective, obviously taking my coaching hat off, putting my sports science hat on, 
all right, my intervention is on the basis that I work to rest ratio and this periodization requires us to now stop rather than being it, the engagement and the stoppage of the practice from a coaching perspective. So it becomes a multidisciplinary collective at a higher level, perhaps, where again, you've got more considerations of why you might, might intervene and have the engagement within the practice to, to stop the, what's going on. Like that, really like that. I'm just going to jump in again um, and kind of, what do you think about ages? So obviously, if we're starting off at an initial age, I think the type of engagement, I think obviously we know now and as most coaches, we're going to engage in one way or the other individually while the game's running, keeping the game fluid, um, stop if it's, if it's meaningful, like it could be three minutes and it's absolutely appalling or five minutes and you need to bring the team in, you need to have a word, you know, you can engage in many different ways, but maybe um, just linking up to, to the question I, I sent before was if, we, if, if it all goes down to what they need in the specific age as well, I think we, we have to have that adaptability, but as they get towards, you know, the 16, 17, 18, um, not, we're not being overcritical. I think part of the game is criticism and taking criticism and understanding criticism because you can really easily um, become a weak player. And we're talking about 17, 18 mentally. And I think mentally in any sport and any athlete, um, I was really surprised actually about Michael Jordan's approach, you know, just the way he was. His mentality really surprised me. I didn't know him that well. And after seeing that series, it was kind of like crazy. And that was installed um, from his parents. Like from a really young age, his dad made them super, super competitive, um, which a lot of kids are. But can, can they deal as well with, you know, the different stimulus which the world brings? So when they get to the age of 18, obviously, yeah, they need to be in a way, um, how would I say it in English? I'm thinking in Spanish, expuestos. So they need to have all these different types of engagements and, and this, they don't need to just have praise and they don't need to just have, you know, uh, criticism. I think it's a balance between the two because you've got to not overpraise yourself and get excessive of, 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 you know, confidence and at the same time, not put yourself down, know how to get, get up. That's, you know, this is the, it's keeping the balance. And until you are emotionally there and you've been there quite a few times, I don't think you can feel comfortable with, you know, your own self-awareness and your capacity to, you know, not take too serious the, the, crit the critical and not take too serious the praise. And it's the double, the double side of it. You know, it's, it's not taking the praise as well. You can't feel overconfident and you can't feel like you've got to get up every single day and it's, it's, it's terrible. You know, you've got to find that balance within you. And if you're not exposed to those scenarios or those situations and everybody's <laughs> worried about you because you're quite shy and they just, they, all you're doing is, adding more of that emotional label. You're, you're, you're praising that emotional state, which you're not looking to change a kid. How he takes it or she takes it, uh, uh, we're talking about 16, 17, 18 years old, um, you can then deal with it as well. Meaning one coach, as we say, the bad cop, might be quite critical in front of, of, of it during the training session, and then another coach goes and, and, and praises what they've done. So having that balance, you know, being able to deal with different people, I think is is key in well it's going to be key in the future as well the person that has the capacity to to talk to people and be emotionally stable will have a lot one as a, as an individual i think it, it goes back as well like you say harry it depends on the age but it also depends on the level so if i'm coaching someone who just rocked up off the street at a grassroots club i've got to approach that differently to if i was in like ryan's level of the academy because i know if if i if this kid drops out from the street you might never play again. You might put them off like a good opportunity. Whereas in the academy, it's kind of like an, a constant process. So they might be looked after if they, if they don't come back. They might, they've always got that fallback option. Whereas if I was to criticise a player, whether he's under eight or under 16, at a grassroots level, we might not see them again because they, they vote with their feet. If they don't come back, they don't it's, enjoy it's it. How you, it's, how, it's how far in depth as well. The thing is, this is the problem. You can go in depth with anything that we talk about. But it's how we value that criticism, how that criticism is, you know, you can, the, the, the sandwich effect, you can start by saying, oh, that was a really good shot, what you just did there. But, you know, you might, did you see the other option you had the other side? You know, next time consider, and that could be considered criticism. It's a really, you know, it was, uh, but it's criticizing something that's happened 
at the level of age age that we're at. You know, finding a way to send a message that what you've done there, you know, good try, fantastic. Obviously, it didn't work because we, we, we might have had another option. And just making that player aware of, you know, something else he could do the next time or she could do the next time. Um, but, yeah, I think it really rolls around what age group we're talking and the capacity of the coach to put it into a terminology which is beneficial for that age group without you know hurting anybody psychologically at the same time not over praising because everything isn't good you know at any age group we can't just perceive that what we're doing is fantastic and perfect and you know well done jimmy well done jimmy well done because as soon as that kid hits 12 and you say yeah not good today jimmy that that kid's destroyed that's when yeah. he doesn't want to come back that's when he's, he's like i've been told my whole life well done and now somebody's actually being truthful with me and I can't take it. It's finding that balance. Definitely. Quite a nice way to go into a little tea break, that, Harry. I like that. Um, yeah, yeah, so we're going <laughs> to... Just going to jump into a quick tea break and then we'll be back to head up um, question three. Thanks again for listening to the Coaches Room podcast. To express an interest in taking part as a guest in a future episode, send an email to thecoachesroomemail at gmail.com. Use the subject virtual round table and include a bit of background on yourself, who you are, where you're from and what age group you coach. Let's get back to the second half of the episode. Enjoy. Okay, welcome back to the Coaches Room episode nine. This has been really engaging so far. I am absolutely loving this. I, I think I'm speaking for all of us there. Um, just before we move on to question three, does anyone kind of have any final thoughts, any closing thoughts on the second question? When is engagement necessary in in a session from the coach no all right great stuff let's move on to to the third question so how important are other sports in, in a child, child's development jamesy do you want to head this one up yeah so i've spent quite a lot of years doing foundation coaching of three four five year olds and even at that age you can totally tell who who's engaged in the likes of pe other like sports clubs and stuff like that they come in and know First of all, they know how to listen and they know like who the coach is and who the other players are. You see the kids who completely are brand new to the environment and they don't know how to like behave. But more so in terms of the like the core skills of the being able to jump, being able to hop, being able to catch, to throw, stuff like that. And obviously as the development they like get older into the the teens sort of thing, how important do we value it as coaches to let them play their other sports? I, I personally think it's absolutely massive that I think I think it's so important because there's so many skills that you can translate from one sport to another. I've done a, a module at uni this year called Talent Transfer and it literally looks at, you know, some of the most successful people in the world that they were actually, you know, look at like the, the Bob, Bob, Slay, uh, Bob Slay team, for example. I'm, I'm just kind of making it up, but, you know, some of them could have been really good sprinters and that ability to sprint has actually helped them in their performance in the bobsleigh and you know vice versa tennis and badminton you know tennis and squash golf and baseball you know they're all very similar sports and that that transfer can actually be really valuable i think it gives you that uh the relatability that we spoke about with aaron last week right uh do th- so do talking think- like a one-to-one session someone someone comes in and you know for a fact they've had their karate or they've had their their tennis session it's an easy way to start that like relationship of talking oh what did he do what did you do last night at tennis or stuff like that? It kind of gets it flowing and then you know you can relate stuff to it. So whether it's like designing a practice that fits to the other sports that they do in terms of getting their engagement or if it's just known you can throw in a bit of conversation because after so long, they'll probably get sick of talking about football. So it's like a bit of flexibility with that. Do you not think that also it's kind of, it's good to have as a foundation because it kind of means, I'm not saying like, that you can but it kind of gives you a base that you could really go into any sport and have that you know you're not starting from the ground up you know you've got a tiny bit of a step you know if you've got good abcs you know because you've played all these different sports you've got good movement skills and you know your mechanics move well you know it kind of gives you that good foundation good solid base to be able to to kind of specialize into any sport really definitely i'll i'll just give it one more before i pass it on because I, I don't want to overtake it with me but with my under eights last season, 
because I, I work as a coach in schools, so I do like a variety of sports within uh, within work. I had a bag of dodgeballs in my car, and I didn't have anything planned for the, the training session straight from work. So I thought, so we'll just go and I'll just let them have a game of dodgeball, and like I set that up with the dodgeballs. And what I was saying, you have to throw it like a throwing, because we had never never practiced that. Obviously, underrated doesn't really matter, but it was a way to kind of link it to football, but it's something completely different. It's kind of putting them on the spot and saying, right, there's a different sport to go and try. Show us what you like. When reality, I was seeing like how they throw the ball if they've if they've practiced it before, and then you show up, tell who who plays dodgeball for school because they're the ones who are absolutely hammering the ball at the other kids. So it was a good social, like 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes or so, if anything. Sounds like a class game, James. I want to jump in your sessions, I think. It's under uh, league, Ryan. Uh, that was my only use to throw in, so the only reason I was on the pitch. Throw it down the line and get up. That's not what you're coaching them. <laughs> um, for me, I'm just going to play devil's advocate a little bit. Um, in terms of the question, it doesn't state football so a child's development is development as of them as a child and in terms of any interaction whether that be something they do in the street playing street games or climbing trees but particularly playing other sports or a variety of sports and James mentioned PE um, it can be really beneficial socially obviously physically has many de development focuses that it, players can gain from um, technically they can prove but then mentally as well you know, to learn learning different strategies to overcome problems and solve issues in games might be different in hockey to what they might be in football but uh, from a child's perspective as, a, as them developing as a young footballer and as a child by all means it's extremely important yeah definitely I like I like that that you know it's not just sport in a way right do you know what I mean it's kind of look it's taking a step back and like it's just like what are we doing in our spare time as well you know are we sitting on the couch playing video games or are we outside you know kicking a ball against the curb trying to hit the, the point of the curb are we you know throwing a ball into a hoop you know we're we playing catch with our friend over the road there's so many other things that we need to consider and and how they actually impact a child's development well I've got two, so I'm going to throw one out before I forget it. The other one, I'll probably be able to link it up. I've written it down and everything. So one is linked up with the question from before. So I just wanted to flip this question. Sorry, James, but um, I wanted to take it in a coach's point of view. So how important is it for coaches to understand other games rather than just the game of, of football? And I've learned this because... When I played futsal for one or two or three years, I learned so much from, from playing, being involved with that game. And obviously basketball, American football, obviously it's different games, but there's a lot of different things that you can take from, from that sport. So one of them, I'm just going to throw one of them out there. When I was in the States, I, I realized or recognized in American football how they come together before the set piece or from picking the ball off. So everybody's aware of what's going to happen. Now, that can be translated into, into football. Normally, obviously the player that takes the corner goes straight and takes the corner and puts a signal up or whatnot. But how beneficial would it maybe be if everybody in the box came together and had some type of understanding exactly and how, how, how detailed could we make set pieces at the end of the day, I'm just throwing thoughts out there. I'm not saying that we need to, you know, transform the game or anything like that. Basketball is way as well. The the movement inside a box, blocking, um, creating triangles. The futsal have the same thing scenarios where it's three v twos and, and and it's quick. And the balls, you know, you got to learn how to have good touch. Obviously, futsal here is compared is 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 apparently a completely different sport. So. My question to you guys, how important do you think it's for a coach to not only understand football, but do you think he can take or she can take anything from other sports as well? I feel like it relates back to what Ryan was saying, because obviously I've more or less studied the same sort of subject of talent transfer, where players can use their physical and knowledge 
to um, enhance their performance in a different, obviously, sport, which is why I think it's important that kids in the recreation phase sample in different sports. And then from there, they can take the positives in other sports, like you're saying. So, for example, you could probably relate the movement maybe on rugby in, in the agility used in that back into football. Um, and you can take other things as well, like what Ryan was saying, like the fast twitch fibers in basketball and high jump, I think it was in the USA. Some guy wasn't um, capable of playing basketball, but he was really, really good at the high jump because of his fast twitch muscle fibers. So I feel like it relates back to that talent transfer slightly. But like you say, I feel like it's really important that coaches do provide a variance in their sessions because I feel like if you just hammer one thing, even when you're just coaching necessarily, not trying not go off to, uh, subject, but even if you just do attacking constantly, that kid's only going to know how to attack in football. Um, while I feel like a lot of coaches don't really like doing defending. I don't know what it is with that, but that's what the gist yeah, seems to be. Um, I don't know why coaches I, I think it's just because comfort zones really but I feel like in order a bit to develop good players and for them to develop throughout the year and um, the ages it the coach needs to provide variance as well as also the school and um, I feel like it doesn't have to be football every week I know they're there for football and some might be there for social but it doesn't have to be attacking constantly. It doesn't have to be shooting constantly. It could be, I don't know, they could experience a goalkeeper session. It's like, I hate coaches which restrict the player to just one position. Like, there was this academy keeper I had, and he was only about nine, ten years old. And he was saying, oh, I'm a goalkeeper. I was like, have you even tried playing outfield yet? Or tried another sport. You might be really good yeah, at catching the ball in basketball. Yeah, you might love it. Yeah, it's like early specialization when they're just investing all the time and effort into one sport because the parents might be forcing it etc that's why i feel like pa and what the foundations do is really really important because i feel like if there's just football clubs out there they're never gonna know so i feel like like you say the foundations and the schools play a key part in the long-term development not of the kids but as them as athletes as well i just kind of say that Imagine, imagine you're you're under six, say under six year old kid who's been put in goal, and always thought he was good in goal until under sixteen at an academy. Got released by the academy at under sixteen because he wasn't good enough to get the scholarship. You'd look back on your kind of childhood and think, what a waste of my time it was that I spent so much time just in goal. I never even tried tennis. I never even tried playing outfield. I never tried golf. I never tried, you know, just socialising with friends. I spent all my time studying goal. And that's not anything against goalies, but you know, if you put it in that kind of he's way, got, he's, he's got something key there, Ryan. At the age of sixteen, he's still young and he can still do everything. Exactly, that he's exactly. But kind of looking at yeah. that ten-year span, would you kind of look at yeah, it and but, go, uh, you know, have done you know, that? Yeah, but we, we've all got that feeling. You know, it's if you get on with life, or you decide to, you know, say that that ten years. The amount of time you meet coaches, how did it go? And what, when did you get into coaching? Everybody's like, I had an injury. You know, come on. You weren't good enough. Full stop. Just say it. <laughs> and be all right with it because it's fine. You know, everybody's like, oh, my crucial ligament. Everybody's torn their crucial ligament. It's amazing. You know, but everybody can still coach. It's crazy. You know, I mean, you, the first thing is self-awareness. And if you dedicated 10 years to being a goalkeeper, I'm sure, you know, you had good, bad, Fun times, but it's it's an experience that is not in your control. Yeah, but would you can, wish that you had more experiences? Out. We can help out, but that's that's bad to to me. In all honesty, is bad parent is is crap parenting. You know, it's it's down to that, and that's nothing we have control of because who takes the kid and drops it off at that place every single day? The decision is made by the parent. You know, taking that kid and putting him in that situation for ten years. But you know, as, at the end of the day, that kid's just going to follow pattern. As like coaches, as coaches, could we then maybe look at him and say, you know, he's got really good hand-eye coordination. Say, like, why don't you try tennis? Why don't you try, you know, hand-eye hand-eye sports? You know, yeah, but then you're asking, then you're asking that, as well. that parent to drive around five times a week rather than two times a week. No, if he's I got chance, he's playing dodgeball. So, do we not have to take some responsibility as well in terms of? 
when I was a sports scientist, every age group in the whole academy took part in multi-sports, plain and simple, from yeah. nines to eighteens. And that was, if not in the warm-up, it could be as, as simple as handball, but I could justify why they were doing it for long-term and short-term development purposes. Exactly, but do you, do, does everybody have the capacity to be under a sports scientist that is considering that? You know, it's great that now we, we get these chats and these conversations out because hopefully, as well as coaches, I think parents should, should be a little bit more involved um, just so they, they know what we feel and know what we think. And I think there's like, the information is out there. I mean, yeah. if that kid's been now 10 years in goal, it's because one, it's been bad decisions. You know, if he, want, if he didn't want to be in goal, of course, you know what I mean? And to be honest with you, if you get released by an academic 16, who gives a toss? You know, fight, you know, work harder. You still got, you still got a possibility of playing for the next 14 years. Just because one academy, you know, this is the thing. What we go back to question number two, we related. The, the, the strength in our mentality. The problem is that kid's maybe been in an academy for 10 years and that's all he knows or she knows. And she's, she's always been, or he's always been praised. And now suddenly, that's the reality. You're not good enough. Doesn't mean you won't be good enough. It means you're not good enough now. It means right now, there's somebody maybe better than you, better fitted, or they've just chosen someone else because you know they know, it's, they know someone who knows somebody else. Whatever. I mean, we, you, that's why being emotionally stable is equally important to, and, and having that self-awareness as soon as possible and having people that guide us in the right direction and saying, hey, no worries, let's work hard the next season. You know, we, we'll find another team, we'll go back to grassroots, we'll have a good season. You know, it's, it depends how you guide that person as well. When you release him from the academy, find him another team. You know, find him a team, keep an eye on him, keep close contact. There's lots of different ways you can, you can take it. You know, it's, it's your decision at the end of the day. At 16 or that parent saying, oh, well, we gave it a try, son. Is that or, okay, fine, what's next? You know, it depends on the mentality of that family and obviously the mentality of the people that have coached that kid, um, plus the parenting and environment that that kid's had for the last 10 years of his life. I agree. Okay. So, so, go on. Just, just uh, I was just going to say, who would you say are the, the best goalkeepers in the world at the minute? While we're on the topic of goalkeepers. Are you asking me? Shout them out, just quickly. Navas. The hair. Uh, yeah, yeah. Alisson. Edison. Edison. Do you reckon they, do you reckon they played all their time as goalkeepers? Edison didn't, didn't he? He was a midfielder. James, I'm going to chuck something out there. Now. I'm not going to be spot on with my memory, but a friend of mine I used to work with, he did a study for his Masters, which did the 2000, and again, I'm quoting this, I may be incorrect, 2018 World Cup. And he studied every single goalkeeper and found out what age they started playing as goalkeeper. I know we've kind of gone off subject a little bit, but in a nutshell, his findings from the World Cup, so these are the best goalkeepers in the entire world, none were goalkeepers before the age of 14. Because they've had that experience of being a midfielder, being a defender, one right. seeing the game from a different position, but also, for me, like, <clears throat> especially at young ages, why, why do we have goalkeepers so early, like Jordan says, early specialisation, and why are they only goalkeepers? So for me... If I had a goalkeeper on my team, in the session, it'd just be the same as the others, outfield. And then we'd offer, like we offer specialist goalkeeping sessions where they get that special knowledge, special practice. So we're now going to session, they should be mixed. Playing other sports, playing other positions, variation is surely key. And the one thing I've taken from everybody is your part, first part, James, was about fun and creativity. My part was about the child's personal development. Ryan Jordan talked about transferable skills and Harry's mentioned tactical. We're all certainly advocates for multi-sports in terms of child development to help them as young footballers. And now it's going back around in a circle to say it can help them as footballers, particularly in certain positions and experiences rather than just you know, general development as such. I think it's because we've got the, <clears throat> we've got the long-term view, whereas some coaches and some parents have short-term, so they think well, I want them to win games, I want them to get to academies now. Whereas we see it as a long-term thing of they're going to do their football, but alongside it, they're going to do their multi-skills and their multi-sports. And then come the end of it, hopefully, they see that benefit of having the variation. 
Yeah, do you know what this all links to? I don't know if you guys have seen it before, but it's called the de de development uh, developmental model of sports participation by Court A. I don't know if you've seen it before, but this is like, it highlights literally everything we're talking about right now. And kids, and they still do now, um, either choose to participate and early specialize in one sport to try and reach elite level. Um, obviously, this is what I study in my dissertation. Um, and then, or they can sample in different sports, like we've talked about, where it's more deliberate practice rather than play, uh, deliberate play rather than practice. So it's for more for enjoyment rather than deliberate practice for early specialization, trying to get to the highest level. And I feel like as the years go on, you've got to eventually specialize into one sport and you've got to invest all your time. Obviously, if you want, it depends on the player and their ambitions. However, you can still, I feel like you can relate back to the talent transfer um, later on, I would say it come about 16, 17, where you've got to make a decision in life and what you want to do. Um, but I feel like definitely in terms of lower age, um, you've got to have that recreation because long-term early specialization puts too much stress on you in terms of physical and mental. Because obviously if you're playing football constantly in your hips, the amount of direction changes that you're doing, etc. While if you're doing different sports, you're using different muscles. If you're just doing the same sport over and over and over again, it's going to long-term, one, mentally stress you, and two, physically stress just certain muscles. So I feel like in terms of your growth as a kid as well, it's, not, it's going to affect that. Um, I don't know what your opinions are on that. I completely agree, Jordan. I've had evidence of chronic non-contact injuries being reduced on the basis of playing other sports rather than overload injuries. So you made a valid point there in terms of player management. Yeah, I agree with that. Lovely. I think as well, linking the back, linking the back to the question. Sorry, right, I'm just going to throw right. another question. If you had a list of all the footballers that you've got, or you coach, how many of them do you think you could name the other sports that they do? And should we kind of already know that? Should we question them and find out? Yeah, I think that's massive that we know, that you kind of get another background of them because I think it helps you tailor your sessions as well, knowing that they might be strong in a specific area or, you know, they might need improvement on a specific area. You know, if they do a lot of upper body skills, hand-eye coordination, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean they're great with their feet. You know, can can you tailor your session towards that then, and you know, give them that whole, like, kind of round-based approach where everything's covered as best as you can be. Do you think as well? Sometimes where where we think we think that the kids all think about is football, all they do is football. When in reality, we might just be one of three or four coaches. Oh, definitely for different sports. Yeah, massively, and I think that's something we have to remember as well, isn't it? That that we might be a quarter of who they see. You know, we might not be the, the be-all and end-all, and that's important that we, that we keep that in mind, isn't it? I'm just going to bring it back to when we talked about our equipment earlier, and Jordan and I were talking about like, agility ladders. I used to work with a goalkeeper who struggled coordinate, coordinate, with his coordination, and my solution was he went and played squash for a year. There was no, no ladders, no throwing and catching a ball, um, and he, he's all right now, shall we say. Um, but and I will argue one thing we mentioned in terms of eventually picking a sport. I actually disagree with that. Michael Jordan's the best basketball player ever. He went and played baseball and played golf his entire career. Um, I think that's almost like you have a primary and secondary focus rather than individualising in one certain area, perhaps. And I, th I, think, right, a... I, I think like what you're touching on there about Michael Jordan, then, that it's good to have that recreational sport as well, mentally, to take you away from what you're doing, you know, look at his situation he was under pressure you know since he came into the NBA and to be able to go away and enjoy playing golf on his own or go and play baseball took his mind off it completely and it was his that was his kind of zone to relax and that was another reason to play another sport yeah exactly beneficial performance as such so it's, it's a it's a big concept isn't it massive yeah because you think you think like on a Sunday you finish your coach and you finish your games you go home what do you know well for me, it's you go home, you watch football, you're on your phone, you're on Twitter, reading about football, stuff like that. It's, it keeps you busy, doesn't it? So I, I do see why playing golf kind of would work for him because you shut yourself off from 
outside interference is, don't you? But the other, the other thing I consider is I've, when I've worked in the States many years, the problem is they aren't committed to one sport. They are that 25% even over four sports rather than actually my primary sport is soccer or my primary sport is volleyball. And that's where essentially they become, I hate to say it, potentially more likely to be mediocre across everything than actually excel in one. And then again, it's the argument of, are you then early, early specialization or causing more harm than it's good? So it's, a, it's an interesting topic. I feel, I feel like, like you say, I feel like if you want, like you, if you want to achieve, it's all down to an individual and what they want to achieve in life and not their parents, what they want to achieve. And I feel like, it's, I think it was about 30, I think it was about 13 to 16. I feel that like you need to make, start making investment years where you start just not solely focusing on one sport, like you say, because you do need that recreational sport of just enjoying something. Um, which kind of relates back to why some of the older lads come to my one-to-one -one sessions just to enjoy the sport rather than because at the academies they just get hammered tactics hammered um, phases of play they don't actually like you know just like go and enjoy like passing the ball or shooting like you need to have a balance like you say but to a certain extent you need to start investing some maybe it's not forced to one sport because you still got to like you say have the recreational side but start to invest more time and effort into one sport i feel like it needs to be more like i don't know what percentages but about i don't know 60 to 40 or something like that where you choose more time and effort into one sport at the age of 16 but not too much but still keep a balance of where you might go just play pool or tennis just to enjoy life as well and relieve like you say stress so i feel like once you're 16 17 and you go leave high actually leave high school then go to sixth form it becomes very stressful and if you're trying to achieve something in football it's not gonna it's gonna add even more stress which is why i agree with the recreational stuff of you might want to go play tennis as well to get out of that stress bubble but jordan where does the stress come from by the amount, the, the stress of, obviously at, the, at that age, you're still studying. So you've got stress in terms of achieving the results. Then you've got the stress. What, in terms of what, Meaning, what type that of stress? stress? Like naturally, naturally we don't stress about stuff. Like it's, it's not like if, if, if we, 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 we grow, stress has grown into us. Mm -hmm. You know, at the end of the day, I believe that, you know, the, the amount of stress that somebody's able to deal with, and um, it goes back to self-awareness again, which I mentioned quite a lot on these, these, um, these coaching talks, is, you know, at the end of the day, that growth period when you're 16, should you really be worried about that, that many things? You know, where's the room for enjoyment? Like, I need a, f do, do you, like, do you really believe in that a player should be making, you know, a decision between two things? Should it just flow? Um, should it prioritize? Because to me, I just think it's bad organization in the sense of we could do so much more with our time than what we do. And we're going into a period where kids can become YouTubers and, and the same amount of money as footballers. You know, and they can sit at home and wear headphones and zone out and not have any stress whatsoever. And what we're, you know, competing against is that compared to going to, as you said before, going to an academy you know, getting it in the ear about where I should position. The ball is hardly in play. I mean, in one hour's match, you probably get, if it's 11 aside, you get vaguely three minutes on the ball. And even somebody stopping it and stopping it and tactically correcting this. Why is it so, you know, I understand we need to understand tactics and kids need to understand tactics, but why is it so important? You know, I don't believe Messi or these massive players that we have now came from environments where they had a massive tactical approach when they were blooming at 14, 15, 16. I mean, the amount of players now that can't dribble and take players on is amazing. Like everybody's tactically correct, but the level of creativity is, is, is so low. I don't believe we're ever going to see, like right now, how, how we're training, like there's not a lot of young players coming in that have 
a natural talent. Don't you believe it's it's very robotic, manufactured? Yeah, I totally agree with that. Especially, I feel like that obviously it's hard to explain because like you say, there's a lot of the academies which go through now and it's it, there's no technical development model where they just technically developed skills. Um, obviously, it's more at a younger age, but in terms of creativity, like you say, I feel like a lot of players are just scared to go out their way now and do different things because, they're, like you say, so programmed into one or two things. Um, obviously, I feel like kids nowadays, even even the younger ones, are starting to get restricted into what they can do, what like just without without the ball. So should yeah. should a Cruyff turn? be introduced to somebody and program into somebody or should it be a moment where a player finds he needs to turn around and protect the ball? No, uh, it's second. I'm going to jump Go in right. if you don't. I know you want to. I completely disagree with both of you. Love it. Go on. <laughs> I think with all the resources, uh, the intelligence of the game has constantly increased. The game has evolved. Coaching has evolved and continues to evolve. And I think actually if you you read reports, you visited clubs, you would now see more ball in rolling time than ever. Um, I think there are... Yeah, but they're not is... playing in the streets, right? All, no, the, all, well, all the training it's... they get is the time that they're, that they're at that, that. There's no... There's, there's futsal is, is, is played by adults. You know, there's no street factor. I can I, I understand what you're saying. I mean, the coaching, this is what I wanted to defend before when we, when we were talking about one-on-one -on -one coaching and the equipment and whatnot. But the only training they've got now throughout a week is the two times they go with their coach, which are fantastic sessions. But I'm meaning, what about, I mean, something I think Johan Cruz said was it's the other four or five hours that when you get home, you go outside and you carry on playing. You know, yeah, and I, I, actually, I agree in terms of society and the millennial sort of upbringing that there are definitely, I'll probably say major downfalls in terms of less engagement hours. But then is that not where you see the ones that are the cream of the crop are still doing that? They are still going out there. They're doing a thousand kickups before they go to school. They get to school. They play football in the, in the playground. At break, they're playing football. At lunch, they're playing football. After school, they're playing football. Yes, there are less of them. But if you're doing that and now getting the quality development coaching that's, on, that's available, that's why I think, and if I'm honest, I'll use England as an example, we are getting a catalogue of great young footballers now. Mason Mount, James Madison, Todd Campbell, Ruben Campbell, uh, Loftus-Cheek, just to name a few off the top of my head straight away, who could be deemed as street footballers. Do you think they'll be as good as Steven Gerrard or Lampard? Time will tell. Lampard's better than Gerard. Anyway. Sorry? Lampard's better than Gerard anyway. <laughs> I'm not comparing <laughs> between those two. I'm not getting into that the next week. Definitely. <laughs> Gerard and Lampard discuss. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was awesome, guys. Yeah. I definitely, definitely get both sides of the, of the argument. Um, and it's, there isn't a magic ball to find out what the best answer is, is there? And that's hence why you put the discussion out there to see what feelings we can get off one another. Yeah, definitely. It's just it's just really good to engage in in that kind of back and forth, isn't it? Um, but yeah, cheers for that. I really appreciate it. that. Was really good. Um, hope you enjoyed it, guys. Thank thank you very much. We'll we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the experience. Feel free to leave any feedback on our social media platforms at Coach Cosson, at Training underscore RM, and at Pogue underscore Coaching. Once again, thanks for listening to the Coach's Room. See you next time.